From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Limit Opic. This is the Limbit Opic Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Good morning, planet Earth. Limbit Opic beaming to you live from the United Kingdom, the capital London. It is 0900 Greenwich Mean Time here, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the home of free speech and the Lembadopic show where we find the facts, kill the spin and tell it like it is. When we express opinions, we'll tell you they're our opinions uh, rather than trying to shove them off as pretend and fake facts. All you have to do is think for yourself. That is the essence of being a TNT viewer. So glad that you're on board today. We have a packed program in the next three hours. We'll be talking about the current political situation with a professor of politics, Russell Deacon, who will join us very shortly. Also, he has a novel idea about moving your birthday if it falls on an inappropriate date. Why not? The Royals do it. We'll hear more about that from Russell in a short while. Then we talk about a fascinating development in the world of climatology. It's actually the past being brought to the present. It turns out that carbon dioxide levels, you know, that's the killer gas, which is apparently uh, suffocating us into some kind of a climate crisis, that killer gas carbon dioxide might have been at the same level or higher 200 years ago. Can this be true? Is the orthodoxy really that wrong? We'll find out from Brian Gregory, who's been studying it, and he actually sent me some of the research beforehand. I'm persuaded enough to let him share it with you live on TNT. I think it's something of an exclusive, actually, for the station. Uh, after that, uh, we'll be talking in some very uh, interesting terms, I hope, uh, with the Voice of Wales uh, podcaster, Dan, who uh, does something similar to what we do. I regard him as a fellow traveller. Uh, he calls it out. We'll be talking about Wales and two particularly big stories there. The steel industry in Wales is close to being shut down. Why? It's the environment, stupid. Apparently, those evil coal furnaces are wrecking the climate, in direct contradiction with what we're going to be talking to Brian Gregory about later on. So what does Dan think of the destruction of one of the great traditional manufacturing industries in the United Kingdom and the justification for it? Also, Wales has been the first country in the United Kingdom, or nation to be precise, to introduce 20 mile an hour speed limits. You heard me right. All urban areas in Wales are restricted to 20. Why? It's for our own safety. And sometimes they shove in an environmental benefit too, even though that increases fuel consumption. But that's just me, maybe. Dan will be absolute top value on both of those. So three great guests, three great hours, and your views as well, of course. If you go to TNT's website, you can express your opinions in the chat. When I get time, I share those also. Uh, all of that with me on the show. Uh, before we go to Russell, I want to highlight two stories uh, developing over the weekend. One is about Storm Isha, which is barreling in from across the Atlantic to the United Kingdom. Already, it's windy here and it's bound to get windier. There are attempts to suggest that this extreme weather which some people just call an ordinary winter storm, are caused by the human race's profligate use of fossil fuels. I don't buy that. If I got time, I'll talk to uh, Brian Gregory about his take on this. 
I just think we are exaggerating. In 1928, for example, in the United Kingdom, London had a tremendous flooding incident. No one was talking about climate change then. Perhaps we're just looking for a religion that doesn't need you to go to church. The other thing that I've noted of great interest is the increase in quagmire that Benjamin Netanyahu, the premier of Israel, is finding himself in. It looks now like he's falling out with his biggest ally, President Joe Biden. Is it possible that Netanyahu's very, very intense and somewhat absolutist attempt to get rid of Hamas completely hook, line and sinker is beginning to backfire in ways which will make it practically more difficult for him to sustain his offensive in Gaza. Over 23,000 people have died in the Gaza conflict. Why? Well, it's because war doesn't always discriminate. And perhaps this is the big PR own goal that Netanyahu should have avoided to win public opinion. We will come back to that in the days and weeks ahead. But I just simply serve notice and make a prediction Netanyahu does need to change course, otherwise the world might change course from him. Love to hear your views on that and anything else that's on your mind. Just go to the TNT site uh, and express your views in the chat. You'll also find the phone numbers there. If I've got time, I'll have you on. But coming up next, it's going to be Professor Russell Deacon, a friend of TNT and a great asset when it comes to unraveling the mysteries of politics. All of that with me on the Lembidopic Show right here on TNT. The latest headlines waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome to the Lembidopic Show and Professor Russell Deacon, welcome to the show again. I hope you're doing well. Thank you. Not too bad, apart from a touch of bronchitis, so you might hear the odd cough cough, which seems to be quite apparent. I don't know if it's apparent where you are, but across Wales, it seems like one in two people have got this repetitive cough. So I'm in good company. What we need is a lockdown. That's what we need. Why aren't you wearing a mask? <laughs> or, or a lockdown. <laughs> it worked so well the last time. <laughs> the uh, It's interesting. We'll, we'll talk about other things in a minute. But it's interesting that we singled out COVID, which is a posh kind of flu. But for all these other things, we just have to grin and bear it. I don't know if you're willing to comment on your reflections on, on the lockdown. My reflection well, is... I, 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 go on. I picked up the COVID the day we went into lockdown and I was ill in bed for a week and I didn't eat for uh, a week. I lost seven and a half in weight and then I had to go on to antibiotics. Didn't leave the house for about six weeks. So I can't say that it was a light touch. Initially, when COVID came in, I thought, oh, I'll get that quick. I'm pretty healthy. I'll get it out of the way. But actually, when it did get me, it hit me. So it was like having flu for a, for a whole month. Um, so I, I can't say, you know, that it was uh, it was light. I think it's probably the the worst virus I actually got. So that's my own experience on that. Uh, I'm not saying it light. It was light. I'm actually uh, somebody who got it very early on. I was an early adopter, as usual. And yeah. that was before there were any vaccines. And Same with me. Knocked, well, it knocked me out. And I have to tell you that I even lost my eyesight a little bit at the time. That was quite a worry. I suspect that might have been some kind of swelling on my optic nerve, but I made a full recovery. The one thing that I didn't get back was my sense of smell until I took the third vaccine, which knocked me out as well. The third vaccine was a disaster for me, all kinds of post-vaccine problems, but it brought my sense of smell back. I don't understand it, Russell. I do have to I tell think... you. I'm... Go on. 
connected with the with the side effects of the vaccine i think that's one of the things stopping people actually having the vaccine now because I, I had it three times each time it was a bit like having covid again for three days um it seems like most people get a side effect of the vaccine and that that's much more prevalent than perhaps any other vaccines or things we take that we get this kickback from it um and i think the other thing is is that people continue to get covid with it so they'll have the entire course and then they're they're all ill with covid so i'm not quite sure what it's doing um i think so. it's causing more harm than good now to be honest with you i won't digress too far into this but my judgment is that the third vaccine has created some lasting issues for me in a way it's good because i do more exercise i go swimming a lot now but that's because i was concerned about the blood pressure implications of vaccine number three which also caused oh. me to hallucinate the day after i took the vaccine what i do think though wherever you stand on any of that is the country will be hard pressed and i would say the world would be hard pressed to go into lockdown and a massive vaccination strategy again and I'm suspecting that's one reason why people aren't taking other vaccines either now. What do you think? I, I, I don't know about the other vaccines. I know that um, measles is on the, on the spread again. I know that that can be very, you know, harmful for children. I had a great aunt that died of measles when she was three. So, I mean, I've never heard of any. I know there are all sorts of things about the vaccines, the MMR, but I've never heard of anybody dying of the vaccine. But I have heard of quite a few people dying of the measles so sometimes we have to be aware of this you know there are side effects i mean if you if you look at the side effects of paracetamol you'd never take it so with all drugs and medicines you look at them and you look at the long list and you think oh my god you know um so um any medicine's got a risk isn't it any drug we take any substance we take is going to have a side effect on some people and some people it's going to be you know quite a nasty severe one isn't it we just hope for ourselves that it doesn't have that, that kickback. Yeah, my last word on that is having studied it in rather more detail, my suspicion, in fact, my belief is that the COVID vaccine and the program that went with it has probably caused more long-term increases in deaths than COVID itself. COVID killed people, but then so does flu, and so does the common cold. Uh, I would be very unlikely to take another vaccine for COVID and I know many people who feel the same. But at the end of the day, neither you, you nor I are biologists or chemists or uh, doctors. <clears throat> so I shall leave that for another time. What you are, though, is a professor in politics and history. What do you teach in your curriculum these days? What's at the core of the narrative that you put forward to your students? I teach mainly on, for the politics side, I teach mainly on the A-level side. There's a, a curriculum that's like determined and it's determined like five, six years ago. So they have to do some kind of future ideas on it. So it's quite wide. Um, we look at in the first year, the students will cover the, uh, the politics of the UK, the politics of Wales, some global issues. They're constantly changing, as you're aware, which connects into your programme there. One of the big issues with younger people is that they no longer get their information from TV and newspapers. They get it, tend to get it from TikTok or various sites like that. So they have a totally different kind of level of knowledge going into them that we do. So where we pick up stories, they pick them up through different medium. And that's medium that we often don't look at ourselves. 
So we can't actually see what sort of information they're getting and how they learn. So it's kind of an evolutionary shift in the in the news agenda and the politics gathering that they get. And it's one that kind of our generation is not familiar with unless you've actually got children or students. And you can say, where did you get that from? Where did you get this information? So it's kind of given us a big generation gap in our in our politics. So we uh, we look at, um, as I say, UK politics, how systems work, political parties, things like that. Then in the second year, the thing that really normally interests them into coming into government politics is we look at American politics, which um, with the advent of Trump turns everything upside down. So the orthodoxies that we had before, where you could predict all these things and you could say in a political science method, oh, um, inside a candidate's work or the person that spends the most is the one that gets elected, et cetera, et cetera. They all turned upside down by Trump. And uh, the, Trump has normally generated interest for them to study politics. How could they say politics isn't exciting when they look at things that he's up to? And then we look at ideologies as well. So we look at um, conservatism, nationalism, liberalism, socialism, and still Marxism, because although it still has an influence on a number of people, although we might think it's dead, it's still around. So we look at those, the, the uh, consistency of the ideologies, which is interesting for politics because often people don't know why they're voting for a particular way or whether they tick with the ideologies, but they do kind of subconsciously. So it's interesting. It's, it's kind of like getting the not the the facts but the the actual solid background behind politics and the study of politics uh i'm sure you know this one professor why do marxists never drink earl grey tea <laughs> do you know it i i i can't remember but i i remember pulling the christmas cracker but i can't remember what the joke was inside the reason Marxists never drink Earl Grey tea is because property is theft. Oh, yeah. Have that one for free. <laughs> Apologies Sounds to like when you around the world. No, I, I got told Earl, that about Earl, 30 years ago. <laughs> Earl Grey was a Liberal Prime Minister as well. Yes, there's an irony in it. Perhaps uh, there's a, liber un a Liberal Marxist joke. <laughs> it's clever for my own, too clever for my own yeah, good, I suppose. Yeah, very sophisticated for this time uh, in the morning. I don't know my own strength. It's it's evening in uh, Sydney, of course. But <laughs> moving on, uh, just a quick one. I do want to talk to, to you about ideologies in the um, uh, second uh, part of our show, because I really want to understand if there is a shift. Yesterday, I had somebody on who was talking about the disillusionment with the, the old the legacy parties. But we can talk about that in a minute. Just a question about social media. You made a very interesting point there. Do you think that those who depend on social media are more informed or less informed? Uh, young people I speak to say, well, this way we get it directly instead of the filter of the media. Is that true? I, I think that the, the issue is when you go for social media, you've got a tendency to look at sites that reinforce your own opinion or your own ideas. So you're not challenged so readily. I mean, that, that's the same also. If, if you look at a kind of more neutral thing, because part of the thing about studying politics is you have to put both sides. So you're constantly saying to the students, not just your own views, what is the counter view to this? So you have to have two sides to the argument. And that's often difficult for them to do because they say, 
I don't believe in that. I think that's a load of rubbish. That's that might be their view, but you have to put both sides of that. And by social media, they're probably or often selecting stuff that just reinforces their own opinion, so it makes the their viewpoint stronger rather that's than no different changing to, it. That's no different to buying your newspaper of choice, and that's age old. It is. It, that's right. It's it, it's the same thing, but um, they don't read the newspapers now. So they don't uh, they don't get that kind of wider um, and again of course it depends on what sort of newspapers you read before if you read the tabloids you're going to get a different truncated version but these students are more from the broadsheets and you're right it does reinforce the same opinions it's only you know within the UK set up where the broadcasters actually have to show impartiality although I'm sure often people challenge the fact that they're not they're not impartial but um, that, that side, they, you see both sides, but people have become more selective now. So they don't watch, generally you don't watch the news, which of course, when we were their age, 16, 17, we had the, um, in the UK, we had the three television channels. There was a lack of other things. So we just had to tune into those. We had to watch them and we had to watch ideas that might be contrary to what we did, but it was more balanced and we were kind of forced into that. Now they've been removed from that. I'd also say, most young people just don't pay much attention to politics anyway. So mm. you stories that you would be covering and that would be really large scale, you would go in there and the students wouldn't be would be clueless. However, if you say to them, did you see Love Island last night? You'd probably get, you know, 14s once you'd have a, a large conversation on that. So most of them <laughs> avoid politics entirely. And that's also well, because of this negativity that they've had about it so their parents are saying oh politicians all the same etc like that and they go oh i'm avoiding it it's it's a it's a cause of conflict well you're going to be the man who brings the world back to the world of politics in the next uh, section of our show i'm hoping professor for a master class in ideology in the united kingdom and also in the united states uh, the world of politics according to professor deacon before that let's take a quick break this is the lempotopic show this is tnt tnt's mark morano this just in we have a new way that's proven effective in dealing with climate protesters who deign to block highways streets and other public areas Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this appears to be the most effective way. We have a uh, we have a field shot, a correspondent on the scene. Let's go to clip four and take a look at how to deal with climate protesters when they block your way on your morning commute. I don't want to see protests shut down. But obviously when you're blocking traffic and you're doing that, you need to be dealt with. I thought this was a great vigilante way of dealing with it. Mark Morano on today's News Talk TNT. I'm just gonna do a little voice I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't wanna be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out, and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. 
the people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Plug in. Website. TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. Welcome back. Let me do a pick with you for the next two and a half hours. So much to discuss in a moment. We're going to have a masterclass in political ideology from a man who knows it all, Professor Russell Deacon. At least he has the qualified experience to tell us uh, what he thinks, and then you can draw your own conclusions. Uh, after that, we are going to have two other brilliant guests, one from Wales, about the situation in a nation that's decided to retard its traffic to 20 miles per hour in all urban areas. What on earth are they thinking? And then we'll be talking about why carbon dioxide, the killer gas, which is wrecking our environment, Probably isn't. Uh, that's with Brian Gregory. But for now, we're with Professor Russell Deacon. Before I go to him, let me read two particularly interesting comments in the TNT chat. Mally Bites says, in response, I presume, to what we were doing as kids, were we following politics or something else? Mally Bites says, we were never in as kids when I was young. We were either doing farm work or uh, or shooting or playing football or cricket on the rock, on the rack, not forgetting playing stretch as we all carried knives then and nobody stabbed anyone lol thank you for that one and just one other one uh which really is uh holly saying global warming overnight or just weather because it's got seven celsius warmer since yesterday i noticed that as well by the way some of my pipes froze not me personally i mean <laughs> my premises a couple of days ago but everything's melted. Everything's fine now. Morgan says the same old A or B choice. Choice C is there was nothing but scaremongering and stress makes people ill. Well, thank you very much for staying with us, Professor Russell Deacon, Professor of Politics and History. Let's start with ideology. You mentioned that you teach ideology. How would you interpret in your words, I know you don't want to be party political. I'm not asking you to be. How do you interpret the difference between the Labour and the Conservative parties, which were described as the uni party on my show yesterday? Well, they've got areas, uh, you know, which their consensus or kind of locked into the limited scope things. I mean, one of the, the big problems they've got or we're going to have in the UK over the next couple of years is there's just a lack of money which is always a problem in politics. The economy is not exactly prosperous. And so we're in a similar period to when Tony Blair came in in 97, in which they're constrained. So both sides can only do so much because there's there's large amounts of debt. So they can only do certain things to, you know, on the economy. And the economy is one of the central drives on that. 
they're both they've got both got consensus very much on the health service they, there's nothing particularly radical go into that even though when you speak to um you know labor politicians quite senior uh, privately they go oh the their health systems in a total mess but because ideologically again labor's committed to a state system and a state provision it can't actually go against that although privately they'll say actually it's a total mess you know if you look at all the stats over the last 15 years they've all become incredibly bad you know i was listening to a program the other day and they were saying that you know people waiting in any i think it was like for more than um seven hours in like 2010 was about four people and now it's something like 80,000 people. So it's just gone astronomically different. So they're not really offering any great challenges for the, uh, or alteration to the health system themselves, but they do differ on some things, you know, substantially. And I, it's that whole kind of area of international uh, politics, international relations, which we're going to, I think, see some difference in if Labour come in. So whether we're going to get to um, some reversals of the kind of um, things we've had post-Brexit with all of the trade, whether we're going to get closer to the EU, I think there is going to be something like that. So there's going to be a change on that. So it's the international side there's going to be some change on. I think a lot of the other stuff, we probably won't make as much difference. But will we see change when it comes to, say, international politics? That would suggest a substantial and noticeable change to the general public. For example, Keir Starmer, when he becomes prime minister, for I suspect he will, saying we're going to stop supporting military activity in Ukraine, or saying we're not going to support America in its predatory ambitions or wars by proxy. I doubt whether Keir Starmer would have the courage to do that, would he? Mm, it depends on what happens with the US presidential elections, I think. Um, <clears throat> If we get a Trump presidency, you'll probably see some much larger divisions, you know, um, this time around. Because the first time Trump came in, the, the politicians didn't really know how to deal with him. And also, I think we had Boris Johnson in there as well that were quite on somewhere aligned with him. Um, if we've got a Labour government, we're going to have people that are not. So you will get a difference there. And it, it won't be so much on support in Ukraine. I think they're both, uh, that's kind of, again, another area of consensus. You don't find in the UK much opposition to that. But it will be on things like trade, trading relationships, you know, like that. Um, EU regulations aligning closer with those to try and remove some of the trade friction and go back within that. So again, that will be a challenge because people will say, well, what was the point in Brexit? We went there for more sovereignty, and now you're removing that by aligning us with various things with EU policies or closely following them. So that'll that'll be the noticeable change, I think, from that, and and, yeah. and that will be the the area where you'll you'll find big clashes, I think. But Labour won't win back seats in those places where they were nabbed by Boris Johnson's surprisingly successful campaign in 2019 if they're saying we're going to junk brexit those what were they called no, they're not saying seats. they're going to yeah they, they won't say they're going to junk uh, brexit they've already made that clear but what they'll they'll say is we'll take a more pragmatic or closer um 
look at it and see whether it it can be you know less harmful on some areas of business etc like that so they'll they'll there comes some rationale for it they won't be um pushing for a referendum to rejoin the eu but they'll want to have a closer working relationship with the european union less less britain going its own way and more kind of cooperating or agreeing with the european union i i suspect that would be the way to go for them that's what they'll do what Britain doesn't seem to have achieved is building substantial new business with, for example, its Commonwealth partners. I haven't detected a particular uplift, for example, in the economic relationship between Australia and the United Kingdom. Is it fair to say, and tell me if I'm wrong, that the promised economic returns just haven't been delivered? And I ask that because I know many Brexiteers who just simply feel that the Conservatives got Brexit but didn't do Brexit. I, I mean, I'm not an economist, but I mean, it, it is a, apparent from that. You you know, it's not stuff you visualise with yourself. You don't see this kind of large new trade deal or large exports or you hear people saying, oh, we're now employing because we've got this big export deal to Canada or India, you know, the people within the Commonwealth. I mean, you'd probably have to get a trade analyst to have a look and see whether that's actually the case. But anecdotally, ourselves, we don't come there. I think one of the things that the Brexiteers need to do is to actually evidence to people what the benefits were of Brexit. What is does it mean to us in our pocket? What does it mean to us in other aspects? You know, where are we to be grateful for this? Because from our own perspectives, we often see that red tapes massively increased. So if you're an international traveler or a small, you know, business person or something like that, you're now saying, oh, either people have stopped doing business with us because the red tape's enormous or um, it's just not worth our while. And one of the, I think, things we wanted was to decrease red tape because Brexit was all about getting rid of these EU regulations that were tying down business. So let's see, you know, show us where the evidence is that, show us where it's been prosperous show us where businesses have actually engaged and how we can copy and, and duplicate that. That's that's the, the thing that needs to be evidenced. Guests and viewers in Australia and perhaps in the United States might be stunned to learn that if a British passport holder spends more than half of their time in any six-month period in the European Union, it's a crime. They get fined for it. Did you know that? I knew that because my daughter wasn't able to continue her studies in Germany for the, that for that reason. So yeah, yeah. So that it's stunning. That's another, it's a stunning yeah. restriction. It's unbelievable, in my well, view, that the British government let that one slip through. One well, one of the the consequences is that is is a lot of people within the UK that have got Irish parents or Irish relatives, and they're able to connect, have got Irish passports now, so that they can move freely across the UK, uh, sorry, across Europe. So, I mean, it's it's uh, it would be interesting to see what the population of Ireland has increased by people that have never actually lived in Ireland that live in the UK. So I think it's probably by a substantial number. Now, you said, I want to talk about some of the other parties in America in a minute, but you said that the Keir Starmer administration is likely or may differentiate itself in substantial ways. I just don't see how he can get those kinds of concessions when the, what many people think of 
the bungled Brexit deal is already set in stone. Is Keir Starmer really going to be able to improve freedom of access to the European Union? Is he really going to get a better trade deal? Because all of that should have been done by playing smart at the beginning. I think, as you say, softly, softly, patchy monkey, as the expression goes, which means that they'll use a more friendly approach for that rather than the kind of lock horns. A, a lot of the attitude to start with was, well, you're going to go to Britain's way because you need our business. Your businesses need our businesses. So you're going to pay attention to what we do. And what's happened is they haven't. So this time, if it's... I think they're approaching it with the aspect of it's in both our interests. A lot of this stuff is, you know, just nonsense. Can we just remove it? And then it, it's a win-win. So um, I think they call that game theory. So we're, we're looking at it to see what you've both got to win. And I think they're going to go for that approach. So the kind of pragmatic, let's be realistic, let's remove this stuff. It's in no one's interest. Um, let's push it through like that. So to come to some agreements like that and re restore some of the links. Uh, I think that's what they'll do. It's called soft, kind of like soft diplomacy. Yeah, I want to go on to America in a minute. Let me read some very interesting comments coming in on the TNT site. Just a bloke sums up something I often hear. In my opinion, Brexit was the moment when the corrupt criminal cabal saw their dream of one world government begin to fade and became the catalyst for ramping up the ante. I tend to agree with just a bloke because I suspect that there are other countries who look slightly enviously at the United Kingdom, perhaps Greece being one of them, uh, because they don't like the fact that they barely run their own economy now. Uh, Chrysilla indicates the level of understanding with TNT viewers. Six months out of my country, that's not just for us. And she adds Schengen for non-UK passport holders, but you can only be out of the country for six months. And uh, just one more. Mogden says, it's not money, it's currency. Money is a store of value. Currency isn't. For example, an Oz of gold in 1913 was about $20, enough to buy you a good suit. An Oz of gold will buy you a good suit, will still buy you a good suit. In other words, it's a measure of currency. That's interesting. And if you want to see more about that debate, uh, go to the chat. And uh, Blodders says, yeah, so Keir will get a better deal, like Call Me Dave did. I think there's a hint of sarcasm there. Let's look at what's happening across the pond, Professor. Donald Trump seems unsinkable, not in a titanic sort of way. Whatever icebergs are put in his way, he cuts through them and he only seems to get stronger. Is that for ideological reasons too? It's, I don't know if we've got an ideology called Trumpism, but perhaps it's because he's seen even though he isn't as an outsider candidate tackling the elites. And that has a lot of appeal, you know, just, and, and of course, the more that he's in court, except like that, the more people see him as an, uh, the elites trying to squash him, trying to push against him. And that has a large appeal. So that that's kind of why that nothing. I mean, he, again, as I said before, he goes against all the rules because one of those stories is normally enough to sink a politician and you never see them again, you know, and he'll, he could have two or three of those stories a week. So he'll, he'll do everything that if you tried to do, you would never be in politics again. You'd be totally ostracized. So that makes him atypical. You know, you can't normally do those things in politics. If you repeat 
what Trump's doing, you know, in the UK or something like that, you wouldn't be a politician. You'd be sidelined or maybe imprisoned or things to those effects. So it's the, the one of the things you have to do is look again at the psyche of the United States. The United States was formed very much against central authority. A lot of the people that went and emigrated there fled persecution. They didn't like strong government. It was built on checks and balances to ensure you didn't get strong government. So there's always been a psyche against that, against restrictions to their own ways of life or what they see as their own culture. And they see Trump as a defender of that, defender of their way of life. And that's why he's, he's so popular. Does this circle back to what you said earlier on on the show, namely that people get their news in a different way and they're distrustful of the old establishment outlets, which many suspect are in collusion with the establishment politicians. While Trump carves his own path, will not be bullied into conformism and therefore appeals to the very folks that you perhaps educate and the very folks who simply don't trust the mainstream. I think that with a degree with American politics, et cetera, there, there's kind of a bit of a messiah complex. They look at him and say, this, this is the guy that's going to deliver us from all the evils that we have. This is our person. And there's, there's a central belief in this. I mean, when you listen to them, they recollect and they say what an effective president he was and how he got things done, et cetera, without actually evidencing any of that. And I mean, if we recall the period, it was pretty turbulent, jerking around from place to place. It didn't seem to be one where he was actually achieving things. I mean, his his central objective to build the wall, which he kept on about continually, never, never progressed at all. So... They, they seem, as I said, they seem to have a very strong belief in him that he does stuff, that he, he will save them, and this drives them. So it's almost like uh, beyond kind of ideological, almost like religious, that he is this central saviour figure. And that when they drive that, when they've got that central belief, it, no one's going to disapprove that because they don't need to see the visible evidence. They believe that the miracles are occurring uh, we'll definitely return to Trump in the future. And I, for one, I'm pretty sure whatever happens in court, he will be the Republican candidate against, I think, Joe Biden. We'll see. Do you think Joe Biden will be the Democrat candidate? There is some interesting stuff there because it's, it is possible that he could end up in jail. But there's nothing in the Constitution that stops you then standing as the president, being elected and then pardoning yourself. So... That's the, that's the way that America is. So that'll be an interesting. Uh, the gift that keeps on He's, getting. He makes politics interesting, if nothing else. No doubt about that. Uh, we'll return to him in the future. Uh, in the next section, I want to talk about a rather interesting idea that you've raised, uh, which gives us one of the rights of the British royal family. Uh, all of that with me and Professor Russell Deacon on the Lempitopic Show right here on TNT. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments. We turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. Domestic journalists are paying with their lives. 
Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those beans smell heavenly. <laughs> Give mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. This is the Limbit Opic Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Welcome back. The problems of Wales, that's Wales, United Kingdom, not New South Wales, coming up uh, later in the show, together with something of a bombshell revelation from an analyst suggesting that carbon dioxide levels are nothing special at the moment. We'll find out more about that later on in the show but with me still professor russell deacon uh professor of history and politics is with me now before i go back to him for a rather interesting right royal idea let me read you some of the comments from you on the tnt site uh, malibite says loving your shows then and great to have uh two three hour slots now at the weekends keep up the great work so thank you malibites it's comments like that which keep me going. Uh, now, we were talking about visas. Just a bloke says, few people seem to be aware that the EU will, this September, introduce its travel restrictions on visitors by the new digital ETIAS entry requirements. I didn't know that, just a bloke. I'll have a look at that. Thanks very much indeed. And Sat Mazzi says, to your guest's daughter, she should have gone for a student visa, surely. Couldn't she have got a student visa? Professor? Uh, no, uh, apparently, uh, apparently not. Apparently, well, uh, according to her, when she was out there trying to work all this stuff out, she was treated the same as an international student. Uh, and the other problem also added to this is where she went to in Berlin, she couldn't get permanent residency. So because 
the apartments were massively too expensive. So she was going flitting from place to place. And because she didn't have a permanent residence, again, they wouldn't accept her as a, uh, a you know, a, a student for that purposes, for a student visa. So it became large, very complex situation, unfortunately. Um, um, yeah. But one of the things was about that is she, she was meant to spend a year abroad. She had 20 students on her course that were meant to spend a year abroad. She was the only one that actually persevered to it, and she lasted about six months. So there's obviously been a massive drop off as well on that kind of student year year abroad experience, which again is very valuable if you want international trade. I don't for a moment imagine that Keir Starmer will be able to fix that, but maybe I'll be proved wrong. I sense that this is all baked in now because when Brexit was still somewhat fluid, when the deals could have been done, perhaps by a more conciliatory approach, as you say, none of those deals were done. Uh, and we had a government which forgot that we actually had a hard border with the European Union <laughs> between the north and the south of Ireland. But let's move on from that. I'll do keep your calls and comments coming, by the way, at the TNT site. I'll read them out as and when I have time. You have a very interesting idea which would give citizens the same status as the royals. Share it with us, Professor. Yeah, what, what is something I've come across over the years with <clears throat> students and family members, etc., like that, is that they often will have a birthday um, in a day where it kind of just gets totally forgotten or put into second order. So, for example, you have your birthday on Christmas Day, Boxing Day, New Year's Day, Valentine's Day, anything where there's a very large um presence of another event on that day and also it, it, i know it's different in australia but it, it's those that have their birthdays in the long summer holidays so in the uk that's august you know july and for them they've never really had you know the other kids celebrating with them because the other kids are all on holiday um so it's the ability just like the royals like just like the king to have a a date of birth, but also to choose a birthday celebration day. So you would have this recognized. So at school, you know, you'd go in and you'd say, this is the, my date of birth is the 25th of December, but actually I celebrate my birthday on the 1st of June or whatever day you choose. And then for those purposes, that's when you'd celebrate your birthday. So it doesn't move your date of birth, it moves your celebration date. Now, I know, you know, when I float this around, well, people say, oh, well, you could just do that anyway. But people don't do that anyway. They kind of want some official recognition of that, um, that it's there, and then they'll do it. They don't feel right saying, actually, I'm going to celebrate my birthday six months later. They feel that they should have something to recognize that with it. So the idea was is that you could actually go for a different birthday celebration day to your birthday, just like the royals do, so that if you have your birthday on Christmas Day, you actually get to get a, a, a proper birthday without everybody saying, oh, this is your Christmas present and also your birthday present and you've got nothing else for the rest of the year. So it was that kind of idea to introduce that, which I, I thought would be fairly simple, but who knows? Tell me again, why is it that the Queen and now the King has an official birthday and a personal birthday? Is it for convenience? 
so that the nation can celebrate their monarch's birthday? I I can't recall, you know, the exact reason on it, but it, I think it's something to do celebrate their monarch's birthday. I I can't recall, you know, the exact reason on it, but it, I think it's something to do with consistency, so that it's always been for monarchs around that date, so that. They, you know, so that there can be official recognition and celebration of it around that day. I think that's the case, but I, I can't recall exactly why the reason was. But I know that it's been they've had that ability for about the last two hundred and fifty years. So a it is, formal. It's it curious, birthday. isn't it? It's curious that the the monarch can have this convenient different birthday. Presumably, it is convenient, and the citizens apparently can't are you saying that this should be enshrined as an actual proper thing that you can register like changing your name yeah yeah i am I, i'm not saying that i don't think anyone's blocked it because i don't think anyone's thought of it and, and they've just <laughs> said, kind of said like oh it's tough luck that your birthday's then you know oh that's bad etc no one's actually thought um about changing it and i i know it's it sounds trivial often to people because my birthday doesn't clash with any major dates so i didn't think about it but when you actually speak to those people and this is where you know your viewers listeners can come in if you've got your birthday on christmas day or clashing against anything would you like to move it or do you really not care um because when i have spoken to people they would like to shift it my, my brother-in-law for instance this is on the 27th of december well it doesn't clash with boxing day or christmas day but everyone is fed up of celebrating by then and it's always a damp squid his birthday then nobody wants any cake nobody wants any food nobody wants to drink anything because they've just been indulging like that for the last three days so again he'd like to shift that and and they also as i said before those they have got them in august a flat month when you're at school because no one's around so you've never got to celebrate your birthday at school like all the other kids so you've always missed out of that and it does leave a little bit of a scar for people and it could be easily rectified just by being allowed to shift it. Uh, I have to say, I've never heard of such a suggestion before. Uh, I would imagine that Republicans would say uh, what's good for the goose, the royal goose is good for the Republican gander. Is there a risk that we would have birthday pooling so that everybody will tend to go for particular favoured dates, maybe a um, uh, a Saturday in August, for example, or, or a mid-August date or something like that? Or that you crash someone else's birthday. So <laughs> you crash your sibling's birthday. It's uh, at the same. Or, I mean, there's all sorts of things like this. I mean, it, but the ability to be able to do it, I mean, it, it probably need, it needs to be thought out and the pros and cons, et cetera, of that. And that's why I say it, that's why it's useful for your viewer listener responses to say whether they think it's good or not or whether they'd use it or not in the end you don't have to use it you know you can keep with your date of birth i'd keep with my date of birth there's no issues with that but it's for those people within that do suffer more so there might be also specific regulations with it you know it has to be within six months of your birthday so which would be the way round um you would you have it before or would you have it after so there are all sorts of things to be thought about but in the first thing it's like is there a demand or a significant demand that people can do it or be able to do it and would it make a difference to them well 
would you also be allowed to change your star sign so that you could say i i was oh, no. born a pisces but i've always identified as an aquarius <laughs> you could try no the your date of birth still remains the same and that that would be the, for all official documents things like that when you were born so that doesn't shift all it is simply is that the day you celebrate that birthday so that changes so the um your date of birth doesn't change you're not moving your date of birth you're not being able to swap it for tax purposes or anything like that that stays consistent but the day you actually celebrate that i mean we also have a thing called easter and easter moves around as as they call a movable feast so that doesn't stay constant that moves around depending on the number of full moons so I've never it's, really also it's not chosen but it's allocated according to the formula so we don't I'm, we're not consistent that everything has to be on that one day we do move some major festivals easter being one of them i've never really understood how they work out easter it's it's a dark art to me but i put it to you there will be listeners who go this is a kind of wokeism gone mad if you're allowed to decide the day of your birthday nothing's stopping you doing it anyway uh, there's a friend of mine who had a dreadful 50th birthday it just was terrible for reasons i won't go into but people were mean to her she's going to have another 50th birthday either this year or next year two years later nothing's stopping her from having that 50th birthday problem yeah. she doesn't need legislation there's there, there is nothing stopping people moving it but when you speak to people they kind of feel Mm, I, I, you know, I can't really do that because my birthday is Christmas Day. I, I can't really hold it to us. They don't feel they've got enough nerve, you know, to do it, to push it. If you're a strong person, you can do that. For a lot of people, they don't really feel they've got the nerve. But if they had that little piece of paper or that little acceptance and it was accepted by officialdom, then they would they would go ahead and do it. We've only got about 60 seconds, but you might not be able to answer this. Holly's asking me a question I cannot answer. What does the professor think of Texit? T-E-X-I-T. What is Texit? Do you know? I, is it, are we on about independence for Texas? Oh, well, I'm wondering if that's what Holly means. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it could be. I have Holly. been to Texas. It, it was a Lone Star State once, so. Okay, that I'm probably a... is what it is, Holly. Yeah. The professor has made a good calculated guess. And if you're wrong, it's uh, if he's wrong, it's your own fault, Holly, for being so vague. <laughs> Would you do you think Texas could survive as an independent nation? It's almost got the same population as the UK. I think Texas thinks it could. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Ah, great. Uh Denzo is gonna have a guest who talks about Texas a lot my bad there uh thanks ever so much professor uh really interesting to hear your views last one am i wrong in working on the operating assumption that the next prime minister is likely to be keir starmer no <laughs> if, if the the opinion polls for the last well two years have been put in large majorities towards labor so Labour really have it to lose rather than the Conservatives to win. Okay. Thanks so much, Professor. We'll see if you're right. We'll be talking to you again quite soon. That was Professor Russell Deacon. What do you make of what you've said? Text it. Very interesting. I recall now where that comes from. And uh, 
you've got experts right here on TNT to talk about it. Coming up next, uh, we've got two great sets of guests. Dan and Stan from Wales will be talking about some ridiculous policies, in my view, which have been going on there. And later on, the big reveal, carbon dioxide, is our friend and isn't really anything special right now. All of that with me, Lambert Big on the Lambert Big Show, right here on TNT.